There's probably not a better Bible story than the story of Jonah in the Bible. This is a story that generations of Sunday school kids have loved. I mean, after all, it's the only story where a fish actually catches a man. Now, we love this story, yet for all of our telling of it, we barely understand what this story even means. With this message today, we're going to start a five-part series on the book of Jonah, and I'm going to call it Outrageous Grace. Now, several years ago, a man by the name of Philip Yancey wrote a bestseller. Maybe some of you read it. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace? In that book, he called that word grace the last great word. Isn't that interesting? Grace is the last great word. He said it is about the only word you can think of that has actually retained its original meaning, the original meaning of free and undeserved bounty. That's what grace is, free and undeserved bounty. For example, when you pray over your noon meal, what is it you do? You say grace. We are grateful for the kindness shown to us by someone else. To show our thanks to somebody, we often offer them a gratuity. Something offered to us is offered gratis. And some of you who check books out of the library and fail to take them back, sometimes you go back and there's no charge during the grace period. Now, Christianity is a religion of grace. We sing about grace. We write poems about grace. We name our churches after grace. We even name our children after grace. If you ask us, we certainly believe in grace. But I would wonder how often outside of a worship service that we would actually ever use that word, grace. Yancey points out that part of the problem is in the very nature of grace. It's hard to accept, it's hard to believe, and it's hard to receive. The doctrine of grace may be the most difficult doctrine in the entire Bible for us to accept. It's not that grace is hard to understand. We all know what the word means. Our problem comes in the application of grace. Grace asks us to do two things that we don't really want to accept. One, there's really nothing we can do to save ourselves. We don't like that. That's hard for us to accept that we can't do something. And second, if God doesn't save us, we'll never be saved. That's just kind of hard for a lot of people to swallow. But nothing summarizes grace better than a verse we're going to come across in Jonah in a couple of weeks. It's Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, Salvation is of the Lord, period. There you go. That statement is both striking and humorous because that statement comes from a man I would call the world's worst missionary. That's our subject today, Jonah, the world's worst missionary. And as we begin our journey with Jonah in these next few weeks, I want to clarify a point. The point is this, Jonah is not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story. At the beginning, Jonah is running away from God. At the end of the book, he's arguing and complaining with God. In between, he does a little preaching, he does a little preaching and praying, and he does a whole lot of pouting. He is no hero. He is the anti-hero. This book is all about God. If you, you want to check it out, I counted. The fish is only mentioned four times. 
the city of Nineveh is only mentioned nine times. Jonah is only mentioned 18 times. God is mentioned 38 times. This is a book about God. It's about God and how great his heart is towards those prodigal sons and daughters of his who've run away. See, God never gave up on Jonah, not when he runs out, not even when he sits underneath that vine that God provides and then pouts that God did exactly what he said he would do. I mean, there's a great takeaway lesson today for all of us. And I hope you get this. Here's the takeaway lesson today. There is a little Jonah in all of us and a whole lot of Jonah in most of us. See, that's why we need not just grace. That's why we need not just amazing grace. That's why we need outrageous grace. Now, with that as an introduction, I want to cover just three quick notes about the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is really, really very interesting. The first thing I'll tell you is this is a true story. I don't care what you've ever heard about the book of Jonah. It is a true story. There really was a man named Jonah who actually did flee to Tarshish, who actually was swallowed by some great fish, who actually did survive three days in that fish's belly, and who was actually barfed back up on dry land. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not a saga. It is not a fable. It is not a parable. Jonah is a true story. By the way, we're going to see that Jonah came from a, a little town called Gath, Hafer, which is found in Galilee, and it's not very far from the city of Nazareth, which is where Jesus was grew up. So that means Jonah was just a good old boy from the country, raised in a rural area, probably came from a poor family. Now, here's the second thing to know about. It's a very short story. I mean, <clears throat> if you didn't know where Jonah was, you could almost miss it in your Bible. <clears throat> it is only four chapters long. There are only 48 verses to this whole book. There are scarcely more than 1,300 words there. <clears throat> you can read it in 15 minutes, I know, because I read it the other day as fast as I could. I did it in about a little over nine. And you could, but, you know, if you take your time, about 15 minutes, you can do it. It is a beautifully balanced, deeply profound book that kind of opens the window into the very heart of God. The third thing I'll tell you about it, it's a very revealing story. Now, I, I'm sure that most of us have probably taken a ship to Tarshish at one time or another. Now, it might not have been called Tarshish, but you took a boat somewhere. Now, we all know what it means to run away from God. And I think many of us know how very creative God can be when he decides it's time for you to come back home where you belong. Let me give you just a very simple little outline of this book. Chapter 1, Jonah flees. I mean, he just runs away from God. In chapter 2, Jonah prays. Yeah, I always, it doesn't really say much what he prays about. In fact, I think Jonah's prayer when he's swallowed by the great fish might have been one of the shortest prayers in the entire Bible. Help! Or whatever sounds you make when you go down the gullet of a fish. Chapter 3, Jonah actually preaches. He preaches for God. And in chapter 4, he pouts. And he actually learns a little something about God. Now, most people know Jonah as, you know, in the middle of a bunch of books here, you know, you find them like Amos, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, you know, Obadiah. These are the so-called minor prophets. 
But it's interesting, there is really only one prophecy in this whole book. We'll find it. It's really just a book about Jonah and mostly about God. Now, we know that, that Jesus loved this story of Jonah and the great fish because it is, he is the only minor prophet that Jesus ever quotes. You can hunt it up in Matthew 12, verse 40. But the story, again, just to refresh your memory, what Sue read to you before, goes this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, if you have the old King James Version of the Bible, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh. The Hebrew translated very literally is this, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh now! <laughs> Exclamation point. Get up and go now. Now, that's what happened to Jonah when God spoke three little words. Go to Nineveh. Now, did you, did you catch what he was supposed to do? Go to Nineveh and preach against it. He did not go and say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you. He didn't go and say, this is your best life now. This was bad news from the Almighty God. Go to Nineveh and preach against this place. Their evil was a filthy, nasty stench to God. The time for judgment had come. The hammer was about to come down. Now, when God said Nineveh was wicked, he was not kidding. And believe me, if God ever calls anything wicked, you better wonder what he actually has in mind. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. That, is the, that was the most powerful empire in the world of that day. And the Assyrians had a reputation for cruelty that is even hard to fathom to this day. Their special was brutality and a gross and disgusting kind, like skinning people alive, or decapitation, or mutilation, or ripping people's tongues out, or making a large pyramid of human heads, or or forcing prisoners to live in kennels like dogs. Assyrian records boast of a cruelty as a badge of courage and power. The Assyrians had absolutely no love for the Jews, and the Jews had absolutely no regard whatsoever for the Assyrians. They hated each other with a bloodthirsty cruelty. They hated the Assyrians for their idolatry and for their arrogance. And so for a Jewish man... To be asked by God to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, that was a repugnant thing to that Jewish man. As far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh could just plain simple go to hell. Now let me ask you, what qualifies as Nineveh today? What qualifies as Nineveh today? I would say Nineveh is whatever puts you out of your comfort zone. Nineveh is the place where God calls you that you don't want to go. Nineveh is whatever you hate that God actually loves. What do you do when God comes into your life and say, says to you, go to Nineveh, and you realize that where he's telling you to go and who to talk to, you don't really like those people. In fact, you hate those people. Now, when God says... Go to Nineveh and preach against it. You'd expect your Bible to continue by saying, And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. 
But verse 3 says, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to free, flee from the Lord. Now that's why we got the map up here. It's good to have a, <clears throat> a little geography to understand what's going on. And you can actually see the little town of Gath-Hefer up near the top uh, by the Sea of Galilee, up in Galilee, underneath the word, the commission. Uh, Nineveh was about 500 miles northeast of where uh, Jonah was. It was a major city parked on the banks of the Tigris River. In contemporary terms, he was told to go to Iraq, uh, about 300 miles north of Baghdad. In fact, archaeologists have found the ruins of Nineveh right out the city, outside the city of Mosul in Iraq. Tarshish, on the other hand, was not 500 miles away. It was some 2,000 miles west, all the way into the country that we know today as Spain. So you got about a 2,500-mile gap between God's call and Jonah's desire. God said, go east, young man, go east. And Jonah says, I'm going to go west. Oh, God, I'm going to go west. Now, the text, if you notice, says that he went down to Joppa. You know, that's true on two different levels. First, to get to Joppa from Gath-Hefer, you did have to go down to the seacoast, to the port of Joppa. But second, by going to Joppa, he was literally going down spiritually. In fact, if you take a look at the action steps just in chapter 1, you can see that Jonah goes down four times. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the hold of the ship. He went down into the sea. And he finally goes down into the belly of the great fish. I got news for you. This is no coincidence. It's a statement about what happens to any of us whenever we disobey the will of God. Anytime you run from God, you never go up. I can tell you that. Whenever you run from God, you always go down. Now, what was he running away from? Well, it's pretty obvious. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't really care about Nineveh. He didn't think God should even care about Nineveh. He didn't want them to repent. And, and quite honestly, he didn't want a God who loved people like the Ninevites. In fact, it would be perfectly fine with him if God would just send him, give him first-class passage to hell. In fact, we're going to find out that's Jonah's real preference. Jonah's problem was never with Nineveh. Jonah's problem was always with God. So Jonah decides he's going to run away from God. He heads to Joppa where he just happens to find a boat going where he wants to go. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing coincidence that he just happens to find a boat where he wants to go. It's a long way from Joppa to Tarshish. It's not like a boat left every day. But think about this. When you and I decide to disobey God, there is always a boat heading to Tarshish. And there's always room for one more person on that boat. Now, what are the chances, by the way? I've I, I thought this story through. I've read it a lot of times in the last couple of weeks. But what are the chances that a man would have 
the money in his pocket to pay for a sh uh, the fare for a ship that happened to be going just in the direction that he wanted to go. Now, I'm going to tell you that whenever you decide to run away from the Lord, Satan is always willing to provide you with the transportation. But here comes Jonah. Finds the boat, pays the fee. And I think there's even a little lesson to be learned here. And the little lesson is money gives us options. Whether we like to say that or not, money gives us options, and they're not always good options. I mean, if you don't have any money, guess what? You're not getting on the boat to Tarshish. But if you got the money, sometimes it's a whole lot easier for you to run from the Lord. After all, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas or Shreveport or any other place you want to run. You know, in thinking about this, I pondered. I was trying to put myself in Jonah's shoes. In fact, you ought to try to do that sometime in the Bible. Put yourself in the, in the, in the character. What if I were Jonah and God had said, head to Nineveh? What, what kind of excuses could I conjure up? Well, I think God's calling me to Tarshish, not Nineveh. Well, you know, they need the Lord in Spain just as well as they do over there in Assyria. Oh, I prayed about it, and God's leading me to do this. Oh, I've got peace in my heart about this decision. Oh, I had the money, and, and a ship just happened to be there. It must be God's will. Oh, I love Nineveh, but I don't think I'm the right person to, to go serve there. I feel like going to Tarshish is the godly thing to do. Friends, you know, whenever you choose to disobey the Lord, you can always find an excuse. And a lot of people justify wrongdoing by clouding it in religious language. Oh, the Lord led me to do it. Oh, in prayer, God said. <laughs> I'd like to heard that prayer. You know, as so we stand back and look at this story, I think there's a question that naturally arises here. And the question is, is this, how far will God let us go in sin? How far will God let us run away from him? How far can we go as prodigals? Well, if we use the story of the prodigal son, it said, and when he was down having pig slop for breakfast, he said he came to his senses... I mean, why doesn't God stop us before we get to the pig pen? My answer is that part of his judgment is not to stop us. I mean, after all, God could have arranged things so that the ship ended up in a different place. I mean, God could have rearranged things so that the ship actually had no room for Jonah. God could have actually had Jonah robbed on the way to Joppa so he didn't have any money when he got there. I mean, sometimes the judgment of God is simply that God lets us go on and on in our sin until we actually have to come face to face with the consequences of our own sinful disobedience. It is what is sometimes called the severe mercy of God. If you want to read about the severe mercy of God, go to Romans chapter 1. Repeatedly it says God gave them over. See, when a society decides that it doesn't need God, God's answer isn't always lightning and thunder. More often, God is kind of like we are with our kids. You ever say this to your kids? <laughs> okay, you want to do that? <laughs> go ahead. And you let them go because you know 
they're going to end up getting it. Sometimes God kind of looks at us and he says, okay, you want to jump over that cliff I've warned you about time and time again? If that's what you want to do, go for it, big boy. See where you land. See, as we consider this beginning of Jonah's sad story, remember something, friend. We can run, but we can't hide. God was with Jonah every last step of the way. Even though Jonah tried to get away from the Lord, the Lord never left him. I mean, think about these points. It is the patience of God that even allowed him. It's the patience of God that allows us to run away. It is the wisdom of God that provides the ship. It is the providence of God that sends the storm. It's the kindness of God that sends this great big fish. I mean, if God didn't care, I mean, think about this, friend. If God did not care about you, if he didn't care about me, if he didn't care about Jonah, he would let us go on in our sin forever. But as we come to the end of this message today, it looks like Jonah has gotten away with it. I mean, here he is. He's running away from God. He's got a ticket. And he's on a ship headed for Tarshish. So far, his plan is working to perfection. He is so happy that if I had Sue read the next verse today, it says he decided to go down below and take a nap. He was as happy as a clam at high tide. But God is not done yet. God is just getting started. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. As we wrap up today, I want to give you three thoughts to ponder on. Here's thought number one. Every step out of the will of God is a downward step. No one, no one ever has ever disobeyed God and went up. You always go down. Down to Joppa. Down into the ship. Down into the sea. Down into the belly of the great fish. It's always a downhill run. Here's the second thought. We get away quickly, but we recover slowly. You know, there are some of us who know that it's pretty easy to go down. There are some of us who have lived through getting off the right path. There are some of us who have fallen very easily and very quickly into sin. And we have discovered that the road back is sometimes very difficult. Sometimes the road back is very painful. We get away quick, but we recover very painfully and sometimes slowly. There's a third thought here I'd share with you, and it's this, that Satan can work through circumstances just as well as God can. I mean, Satan has his ships. Satan always has room on his ships. His ships always go wherever we want to go whenever we decide to run away from the Lord. Satan can make disobedience look good by means of favorable circumstances. Now, as Jonah 
is getting ready to take a, a little nap on the SS Minnow. I don't know what the name of that boat was, but the Minnow only had a three-day cruise and went bad. But as he's going down and he's ready to take a nap, I kind of wonder if as he was falling asleep, he might have thought, you know, things are going pretty well for me today. This must be God's will. But he was wrong. He was really wrong. God had already made his will very clear. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. That's pretty clear. Down deep, Jonah knew it. He just didn't want to do it. Now, I began by saying that I'm going to call this series on Jonah Outrageous Grace. And some of you are wondering right now, where is the grace of God in this story? Is it coming next week? Please, please. I think there's grace in here already. I mean, he lets Jonah disobey. He didn't kill Jonah right on the spot. That's grace. He, did, he gave him the freedom to mess up his own life. That comes from the grace of God. Now, that doesn't seem like grace at the time, but it was. God works even in the midst of our disobedience to bring us back to himself. I mean, sometimes God lets us go so off course that when we finally see our sin for what it is, then we're ready for another SOS to see our Savior and to head back to God. But meanwhile, Jonah's disobedience looks pretty good. If you were standing on the shore that day, you might have said, Happy sailing, Jonah. Watch out for the big fish. But see, that's the way life really works when you think about it. Sin really looks good for a while. I mean, Jonah experienced what the Bible called the pleasures of sin for a season. See, if sin always brought immediate misery, it would be a lot less attractive to all of us. Yes, sin is fun for a while. But as the Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Jonah is about to find that out the hard way. And as they used to say on radio, stay tuned for the rest of the story. That's next week. Let's pray. Father, we're glad that your grace is greater than our sin. Some of us have loved ones who seem to be living the high life on the ship to Tarshish. Some people seem to have gotten away with disobedience. And when that happens, Lord, we sometimes wonder where you are. Maybe some of us right now are looking to take a ride on a ship headed for Tarshish. Speak to us. Wake us up. Help us to believe more deeply in your outrageous grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. And also in the name of Jesus, we pray the prayer he's taught us to pray.